We're going to just do a one-off sermon today that's actually been kind of in the queue for me for about uh, four or five months now, I think at least since February, called Family Vacations. As I was looking at what was coming up and everything, I like to kind of get things planned out and pray about it and ask God what to, what to speak on. And I got to thinking about this idea of our family vacations and, and how meaningful they are and the memories that we build together and all of that. But you know, vacations aren't in the Bible, Right? Um, unless you count when somebody went to go visit a relative somewhere or you count like, you know, them going down to Egypt and staying for 400 years. They were slaves, but, you know, that could have been considered a vacation, but vacations are not very prominent in Scripture. Um, And as I even looked in history, like where did vacations come from? They were popular amongst the elite, but that was more of just like living somewhere other than where you normally live. Um, but, but vacations came to America in the, in the, in the mid to late 1800s. There was a, a pastor that, uh, that pastored a church in Boston by the name of William Murray. And he would make trips up to the Adirondack Mountains. And he wrote a book, and the book was entitled Adventures in the Wilderness. And he published this, and it became very popular. And his whole premise of the book is that you need to disconnect. And he he called called nature a tonic of the soul. And so at the same time, that was in 1869, the railway built a rail line from Boston and New York up to the Adirondacks. And so it reduced the length of time it took to get there to only 36 hours. Right? Right? So now people are thinking, oh, we read this book and I'm going to experience what this guy experienced. And they went up there and there's some humor behind this because it happened to be one of the worst black fly seasons they had ever had. And so all these people went traipsing around the wilderness and they hated it. But it caught on. And by 1875, just six years later, there were 200 hotels in the Adirondack Mountains in just six years. So, so the, the, the vacation craze had come to America. You fast forward about 100 years, and I'm a little boy, right? And we're going on vacations, but we were super cheap. We either went to go visit relatives, which was always awkward because it was my family, or we went camping because we were cheap. But it was great. We had this big, big, like, tent. And remember when you had aluminum poles that came in like this bigger than a golf size, golf, golf bag size bag, and it had all these aluminum tent poles. It was never more frustrating than when you broke one of those tent poles. You remember that? Having a hammer in the stakes and putting everything together. And, and the funny thing was like we had this big van and uh, the, the tent package was so big and so heavy, it took my dad and I to put it in and out of this thing because now you have everything super lightweight. Back then it was made out of canvas material. I think they made it out of buffalo hide. <laughs> it was a long time ago, you know, back in the 70s. And uh, the first time I ever stayed in a hotel, I was a junior in high school. We just didn't spend money on hotels. Like it just wasn't a thing for our family. But I have great memories. I still remember the odor of Coleman fuel pumping the stoves up, you know, and the canvas tent. And mom and dad got the blow-up mattress. We all slept on the ground because we were kids. But great memories, right? And so I'm thinking there was so much goodness there. And there has to be a reason 
why vacations are such a thing. There's got to be value there. And so what I'd love to do is take a look at some of the, the benefits or some of the beauty of vacations and see if we can't learn some lessons about the life that we live today so that we can have a better quality of life. And I know it's kind of a backwards way to get to some biblical truth, but, but if you trust me, we're going to get there. And, and I think it's going to be like a couple aha moments from me because we're going to give four things that I feel we learn about life from taking a vacation. And then we're going to learn two big truths that I feel can really change how we look at the life that we live, not only with our families, but with our faith family. So what, what, what makes vacation so great? First thing is it's the who you are with. The who you are with. Um, I know I, where you go matters. Everybody wants to know where you're going on vacation, mostly your family. And what you are going to do on vacation matters. But who you are with is what makes the trip interesting, at least, <laughs> and life-giving at best, right? You get crammed in a car for, for hours, stuck in a tent or a hotel room with a family, and um, it really is important that you're with them because what you're doing is not always as important as who you're with. I remember one of the most expensive vacations we took was we took the family to Disney World and we met my wife's family down there. There's a bunch of cousins and we had a three room, uh, three bedroom, whatever you call those things. Like it was a timeshare thing and it was right outside of Disney. And, uh, and we had bought like three or four days worth of tickets there because you can imagine how much that cost. We had one less child because we had to sell that one to be able to afford the vacation. <laughs> It was the one that we liked the least. We only have two children now. Um, you're wondering why there was such a gap between our children. There was one in between there, but she never behaved. Um, so I wonder where she is right now. But it's like, so we, we, go to, we go to Disney World, and we're standing in line, and we've spent thousands of dollars on this vacation. And all the, there's like six cousins and my kids and all of that. And they're like, when do we get to back to go to the, go to the hotel room? We are at freaking Disney World, and you want to go back to the hotel room. Yeah, we want to jump on the beds. So we asked if anybody else wanted some children, and then, but it's, 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 it's the who, they, they enjoyed themselves more just hanging out. And I, I mean, we did continue to go to Disney World. It's not like we got mad at them and, and came home, but uh, we felt like it, but, but even if the where is not great, and even if, the, even if the what is not what you thought it was going to be, usually you can have a great time because of the who you are with. Even if you have an abnormal family, you can at least imagine that to be true, right? Yeah, even if, like, you've seen it in a Hallmark movie somewhere, like, I know that that's what most families get to experience, but that maybe, but, but, you know, think about it this way, right? So, so even, even if you're the, ab, the abnormal family, um, that's still who you're comfortable with. And that ought to say something about you, but, because you're their who, um, 
but it doesn't really matter so much. And then there was a vacation. So we had friends in Texas when we lived there and uh, we, we didn't have much money at all. And so sometimes we had friends who had like this, they called it a ranch, but it was just a really nice house on some land up in the hill country of Texas outside of San Antonio. And it was a six hour trip. If we could afford the gas to get there and back, they would let us know when they had, it was a rental and they would let us know when it was free. And we would drive down there and only be able to afford the gas and groceries. But we had some of the greatest times there just getting away from it all. That was when cell phones were not as big a deal. And uh, you actually had to pay to use them. And so we didn't use them as often. And we really had the opportunity to kind of get away. And there's such a big life lesson here, I think. And that is the who has the potential to make your what better. And the who has the potential to make your where better. Which is why I think that we are promised the presence of Christ through life. Because when we have him as our who, the what and the where are manageable. That's why he said, that's why he said, I am with you always, even until the end of the earth. The who you are with and also the experiences that you have. And I love this point because you're building memories with the people that you love. And it creates a different, a deeper connection. Um, uh, you're soaking up the goodness of that moment. We have so many great stories to tell from our vacations. We, uh, the remember when, you know, the silly things that happened, the almost like life-threatening situations. Um, we, we, took a, we took a canoe trip one time by ourselves in a flooded river in, in Beaver's Bend, Arkansas. And it was really flooded, and we were going in this place that we didn't know we weren't supposed to be going. And the river got really fast. We hit a stump, flipped the canoe. Then the canoe got wedged between, between two trees, and we couldn't get it out. And we still had six or seven miles of this trip to go. So we grabbed the cooler, donned our life vest, and we just floated. Left the canoe there, floated the other six or seven miles. And there were a couple of dicey moments, okay? I'm not saying it was all great, but it made a great story. Like we built these memories, right? The canoe company was not happy, but we, we were able to locate the canoe. But uh, we, we have these great moments that we remember. On our honeymoon, I left the door to the hotel room open twice. Not a great moment in our life, but a great story to tell later on, right? So vacations are great because of, the, because of the who you are with, the experiences you share, and the fun that you have. The fun that you have. And, and I realize, like, some people are like, well, what, what's so spiritual about this? Let me show you some verses that, that I think might surprise you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. And I know you want to right now, but now's not the time. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. Job 8, 31, he will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. I love this because I love to laugh and I love to enjoy life. And there is something about laughter that I think has got to make the Lord Happy. I think it puts a smile on his face when he hears his kids having a good time. Because there are fewer things sweeter than hearing my children laughing. 
And when we are together and we are enjoying our company together and we're, we're watching a stupid video or something funny happens and we're all just dying laughing, there is something that laughter communicates. Laughter communicates peace in the relationship. Laughter communicates love in relationship. Laughter communicates a sense of security. Like I feel comfortable enough in this relationship to laugh at myself or to laugh at you, whatever is appropriate. There's trust there. And when you learn how to laugh together, there's a beauty of life there that doesn't exist in other. We need to laugh more. I really believe that. I really think that we need to be more prone to laughter because life is great. Your life may not be perfect, but life is good. And I believe God is good. And sometimes the healthiest thing you can do is just laugh at your mess. And that's one thing that I think makes vacation so great is that we just laugh together. And I also think, and this is the last thing about vacations, I think it's the rest that you enjoy. And rest doesn't always mean sleep, as you might think. I'm not a sleepy kind of guy. I get up pretty early and, uh, and I'll, the same way on vacations. And it takes me quite a few days on my vacation to finally get all of the busyness out of my system, usually three or four days to where I'm actually resting well. But rest does not necessarily mean sleep. It has more the idea of relaxing, at being at ease, at de-stressing from the busyness and the burdens of life. Like in Psalm 46, verse 10, Hezekiah is quoting God here. He says this, be still and know that I am God. And that word still is remarkable. There, it means so much more than just like still. It has the idea of just let it drop. Whatever you are hanging on to, whatever you just can't let go of, whatever you are stressing about, if you want to know that I'm God, you got to put that down. You got to let it drop. Because this idea of rest is more than just sleep. Although you may need that. The idea is trust in the Lord. Like, I'm going to rest. I'm going to be still. I'm going to be at ease. Because Daddy's got this. I'm able to be at rest. And I think that's what vacations teach us that we need in our daily life. This Psalm 46 was written by King Hezekiah, we believe, when Jerusalem was surrounded by the enemy and they had been besieged and were literally starving to death. If you read the account, they were, they were selling pigeon dung to eat there was an argument amongst women about their own children. It's a, it's a horrific story. And Hezekiah has this moment with God where he realizes that God is going to save them. And then in verse 10, he makes this beautiful statement and he quotes God that says, I know it's bad, but be still and know that I'm God. My point being that there needs to be spaces in your life when you can take a break and rest, when you let things drop in order to be able to nourish your soul. 
as I said earlier, I don't know that there was a lot of vacations in Scripture, but there was a Sabbath. And I believe that's a biblical parallel for rest. And that is just a time to, to unplug. You may, have, may be familiar. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That was one day out of seven when you were supposed to reconnect with the Lord and let your body and your family recuperate from the six days of work. So here's a couple truths I'd like to share from those four beautiful things about taking a vacation. So first thing is what makes a great family can make a great faith family. And so here's, here's what I love about this, right? So I don't know what your background is. You might have had a, um, a less than desirable upbringing. You may have some pain and some wounds from your childhood. You may not have been treated very well, or you, you may have that as your only reference point for what a family can be. Can I tell you that it doesn't have to be that way? And that God gives us the opportunity in his family to have a perfect father with a bunch of imperfect brothers and sisters. And we work together in all of this. But it's an opportunity for us to start over again in a faith family. This faith family is such a beautiful thing. Not only do we get to share experience together with this chosen family, but we have the opportunity to start fresh with Jesus and see what it looks like to live a life surrounded by love and forgiveness and joy and service. Regardless of your family history, what they've done to you or what stupid things you've done, you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. Can you live in that? Can you really believe that and then have this new father and new family it's all over the New Testament, like this whole f familial metaphor. This whole metaphor of the family is all over Scripture. A new father and brothers and sisters and family of God. It's so a body. It's so beautiful. Look what he says in 1 John 3. Uh, the first part of verse 1 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. So this church thing, is bigger than Sunday. We gather together, but this is just a gathering. This is not church, right? We, we like to call this a church service where we kind of get together, but, but this ain't church and this ain't serving, right? It's like this, you, you can be, but, but, but for most people who only attend, there's not a lot of service going on. But honestly, Real family, like church family, doesn't happen when everybody's sitting in a row facing the same direction. It happens as we're inter interacting with each other and connecting with each other and bearing each other's burdens and letting you borrow this and sure, I'll pray for you about that and here's a meal. Sure, let me take care of that need that you have. That's what family does. And when we begin to interact as a faith family, like families should interact, now we're starting to get a taste of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about. Because your faith family is an opportunity to become the family that you wish you could have had or to model the great family that you did have. 
And here's the beautiful thing. You're invited in. Like God wants you to be a part of his family. I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know where you are on your journey of faith. But I know this, that God wants you in. He invites you into himself. Whosoever is a big word in scripture. That means anybody is invited. Look what it says in John chapter one, the very first chapter of the book of John, the fourth book in the New Testament says this, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So here's this beautiful formula that, uh, that Lee Strobel came up with. He, um, he wrote a book called The Case for Christ and then he also has a movie called The Case for Christ and he said this, this is a beautiful formula from John chapter one about becoming a child of God. He said, you believe and you receive, and then you become. It's not as complicated as a lot of people have made it. There's responsibility that goes along with all of that. And there's a relationship that begins. But that's as simple as it is. So regardless of your family history, you can do better. Like, like with your own kids, with your own husband, with your own wife, you can do better because you get a fresh start with your faith family. So what makes a great family can also make a great faith family. And what makes a great vacation can make a great life. So here's, here's, here's where we're going. Look, those, those, those four things, right? So here's what makes for a great vacation. So how can we begin to implement that or some of that into our life because who you are with and the experiences you share and the fun that you have and the rest that you enjoy are all transferable. They don't have to just be your one time a year vacation experience. You can bring some of that goodness back with you. Are we able to look at our lives with a fresh set of eyes and realize that those beautiful things that we love about vacation can be a part of the life that we live. Because first of all, presence trumps circumstance. Your who has the potential to make your what and where so much better. As we mentioned earlier, Jesus said, I'm with you always. His presence is always with us. He said this later in scripture, I will never leave you or forsake you. God never disappoints, even in the toughest times. So I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what you're going through. But the beauty of this family is that we have a heavenly father that never disappoints. One of the most famous verses of scripture is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ, right? And that's great. I saw it tattooed on someone's chest last night on UFC. I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> all right. Yes, we can do all things through Christ, but let's read this in context a little bit, right? So Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says this, not that I speak in regard of one. This is Paul writing. If you know much about Paul, he went through a lot of hardship. He was stoned and whipped and left for dead, and was uh, cast away at sea. He was in prison. All these really rough things happened to him. And he says this to the church of Philippi. He says, not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. 
everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, I've been through an awful lot and I've learned that no matter what happens in my life, God's not gonna disappoint me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're supposed to be here for each other. Like this is the family of God. But we are all gonna disappoint each other. You spend 10 minutes with me, you're gonna be like, huh? Like I'm gonna disappoint you and I know you're gonna disappoint me because we're human. It's like we're almost built for that. But we are a family. And even though we let each other down, isn't it beautiful to know that God never will disappoint? We may not always understand his ways, but I believe he loves me. And I believe that he only has my best interest at heart. And I don't, that, there's a peace beyond understanding, right? Like I don't always understand everything, but I can still have peace because I know him. So presence trumps circumstance. Not only that, joy communicates trust. So we have fun on vacation. There's a trust level there. There's a security level there. Joy communicates trust. Some of us have problems. That's the understatement of the day, right? We all have problems. But are you like me that sometimes my worry is bigger than my actual problem? And then I worry that I'm worrying about it. And then I get stressed because I can't figure out how to stop worrying about the problem that wasn't really that big a deal anyway. And I'm tormented because I'm a people pleaser. So if you want to ruin my day, just tell me you're upset with me about something. Don't tell me that, okay? I, that was like, that was just an illustration. There is, there is this thing that God has put inside of me that's a beautiful thing. I love people, but it can also be a real pain to be a people pleaser. And sometimes I worry more than it's worth. Like I worry more than the actual problem would demand. But we're supposed to have a merry heart and a cheerful countenance. I remember as a child on vacation, like my mom and dad literally would pick us up and carry us out to the car and put us in the back seat and we'd wake up wherever we are. Like there was no worry. Like I just got there. That was before, you know, seatbelts were mandatory. My spot was in the back rear window. Like they would pop the headrest off and stick me there and then put the headrest back so I wouldn't fall forward on top of my sister. Can you imagine me fitting inside of a back window of a 1972 Ford LTD? I did. It's a little cramped, but even, you know. That's how we lived. And I would wake up and we were there. And it was wonderful. I had no care except where are we eating? Because dad had it all taken care of. There was this sense of trust there. And I think we need that more in our life and in our relationship with God. Dad's got this. My worrying is not going to make it better. 
I needed to hear that, even if you didn't. Knowing the fact that God has it under control lightens my load and helps the pressures of life fade so I can relax a little bit with the people that I love, loving and trusting in the God that I love and this incredible life that he's given to me. That's the peace that passes understanding. That's the the joy that is unspeakable. That's the confidence in knowing that your father loves you and can handle it better than you can. And your worrying is really not accomplishing anything anyway. The joy that we feel communicates the trust that we have in our father. And finally, because Sabbath expresses faith and heals the soul. Now, Sabbath is a biblical word for a day of rest. And I'm a work in progress on this. But we need to learn to build space into our lives to be still. To let it drop for a day. It wasn't a suggestion. It was one of the Ten Commandments, right? That's pretty powerful. Like you believe you shouldn't commit adultery and you believe you shouldn't tell a lie and you believe you shouldn't kill somebody. That's all, in this, that's, that's all the Ten Commandments. Another commandment is that you should remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I think it means more than resting. I believe the Sabbath is a lot more about reconnecting with the Lord and refreshing your soul in your relationship with him as well. So it's not just about sitting around playing video games all day. It's about reconnecting with the Lord. But we need that Sabbath in our life. The biblical pattern is one day out of seven. We need a day to refresh our soul, to reconnect with our God. Maybe for you it's just unplugging from, te- unplugging from technology. Setting it up to where your emails are answered. You know, it might take a little bit of planning Like I think if I went a whole day and didn't connect with anybody, they would send the search party out for me, right? It may take a little bit of planning where you basically let people know in your life, this is my time, right? Maybe there's a hobby that you enjoy that feeds your soul. I think Melissa's probably is washing dishes and stuff, but (laughs) she's not here, right? I can be really brave. No, I'm just saying, like whatever it is that feeds your soul, like, I, I can imagine that I would really enjoy woodworking. I don't know why. I just think that that would be a lot of fun. You get to buy tools, right? You get to cut stuff up. I mean, what's there not to love? I just found out I really love axe throwing. I'm, like, addicted right now. Like, every day I go home going, do I have time? I really enjoy just tossing some axes, right? At a target, not at random people. But it's a lot, unless you want to come over. Um, there, it's a lot, it's relaxing for me. I really enjoy that. I don't know that that's Sabbath material, but it is something that feeds my soul a little bit. We need to be intentional about this. Maybe just going for a walk, but spending time with Jesus. We feel as though we can't afford to take a break or take some time off because we can't imagine that God can take care of everything without you. But busyness is not a spiritual activity. 
That's hard for me to hear. It's even harder to say that my busyness does not equal spirituality, even if it is church-related stuff, even if it is helping people. It doesn't equal spirituality. So I don't know where you are this morning. Like, I don't know what you needed to hear. Maybe you are in a place right now where you are so troubled by your past and it has a daily impact on your life and you need to be able to release that and allow God's forgiveness to soak in and enjoy your present without living in your past. Maybe you need to take a break. Just get with you and the Lord and be refreshed. That's why it's there. That's why, that's why it exists. That's why it's a commandment. Maybe you need to accept his invitation to be part of the family, to believe and receive. Maybe that's where you are this morning. We're going to pray. We'll have a couple folks down front that are here for you. Like if you have a question or you need prayer, that's why they'll be here. But we love you. And I don't know what you need to hear from God this morning. But if you need permission, you have it to be who you need to be in your relationship with God. And to enjoy the people you get to do, with life, do life with more. And I believe that God wants to have a better relationship with you so that you can live a better life and not just be a better version of yourself, but be transformed as we give ourselves over to him and allow the, the truth from his word and the, and the leadership of his Holy Spirit to turn you into a new person because of the transformation taking place in your life. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you. And thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the examples that you've given to us. Thank you for wanting us. And I pray, Father, we would want you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.